open up our hearts. Spirit, we ask that you would move in us, Lord, uh, that you would show us um, what your plan and your, your purpose is for us, Lord. And God, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. My name is uh, Andrew Earnshaw. I, um, my claim to fame is being uh, John and Judy's nephew. Uh, but uh, I'm happy to be with you this morning. Thank you so much for the warm welcome that I've experienced already. And um, I work over at Bible League. My, I, it was a joke, kind of. My, my title is Director of Learning and Communication, but if you would have looked at my grades in high school, uh, you would have laughed at that. Um, I work over at the Bible League. I've been there for about eight, nine years. Um, who, who here knows Bible League? Yeah? Good. Uh, Bible League is, a, is an amazing ministry, and it's been around for about 85 years. I've been there for about eight years, um, and I get to see things around the world and, and help people that would never really have a chance otherwise. A lot of people that, that we serve don't have a Bible either because they can't afford one or because uh, they'll be persecuted for it, and I just want to tell you for those that, that uh, give to Bible League, that those that are part of Bible League, God is doing amazing things all over the world. Um, I was just in Ecuador a couple months back, and we were there as, um, to, to help some of our church planter trainers, and there was a guy that came from the Amazon that had planted 12 churches, 12 churches in the Amazon, and he was there to get scripture, he was there to get further training, but God is moving in, in amazing ways, and it gets to be a part of that, so um, thank you to all those that, that support Bible League. Um, this morning, I want to talk about contentment, and I had a totally different illustration about waiting in line at a fast food restaurant about contentment, but I'm, I'm going to change that this morning, because uh, I experienced this just this morning. We just got back, my family and I got back from a three-day trip to Galena, Illinois, beautiful place. Uh, I'm content. I, I was able to get my sermon worked on during that time. I practiced it last night, practiced it this morning. Uh, I have my routine every morning. I'm about 45 minutes away in Highland, and so before church, I pour myself a cup of coffee, and, and I did that, prepared it, got my shoes on, got in the car. Ten minutes into the drive, I almost had a panic attack because I didn't have my coffee with me. And uh, I was content one minute and discontent the next minute. I was, I was happy with how things were going in my life, and something as small as not having a cup of coffee with me can totally throw off my morning, and I had to really practice what I preach, because what am I going to do, get angry and, and upset? And my wife has been telling, hearing me talk about contentment all week long. So fortunately, fortunately, uh, John got me a cup of coffee when I got here this morning, so I still am caffeinated. Um, but, uh, you know, this is the way that life goes, isn't it? When, when we're young, we get a toy, we get a Batman figurine, and we see somebody that has uh, a duotone Batman figurine, and all of a sudden we're discontent. Um, in high school, if we could just get that girl, if we could just get that guy, we'll be happy. If, if we could just get a car that drives it all, we'll be happy. And then we see the next car, and, and all of a sudden we're discontent. Um, this happens all the time. You know, we, we think if we get the right job, we get the right salary, we get some free time. If our kids would just take a nap, we would be content. Um, and these things are things that we've all experienced. And so where does this discontentment come from? Because it can be problematic. When we're discontentment, we, we don't have a lot of peace. We, we're irritable. 
We're restless. Um, my, uh, my bachelor's degree, after I, I failed out and went back in, uh, after I met my wife, uh, my bachelor's degree was in marketing. I was a sales director before I worked over at Bible League. And in sales, you're not just selling a product. You're not just selling a car. You're selling a feeling. A feeling of satisfaction, a feeling of contentment, a feeling of, of coolness. I'm cool. I'm cool if I'm driving this car. And that's the way our culture is. And even knowing all about sales techniques and marketing, my, my wife still laughs at me all the time because I'll be watching that infomercial thinking that I need that next set of Insanity DVDs because I'm really going to get in shape this time. And she goes, you fall for the same thing over and over again. You know, you, you know that the limited supply and the urgency is all made up, don't you? And so it's a lie that just runs through our brain all day long, and we don't much give it much attention. So our culture produces discontentment. We're a, we're a striving culture. The American dream is about getting, getting our life established, right? But where discontentment comes from is fear. Fear is where discontentment comes from. We fear we aren't going to get something we really want we're scared that we won't get our way. We're scared that if we don't have something, we'll be judged for it. And fear produces discontentment. And when there's no contentment, there is no peace. There's no satisfaction. Instead of peace, there's, gen uh, instead of peace, there's uh, bitterness. Instead of joy, there's frustration. So why do we want contentment? Well, contentment comes uh, with contentment comes gratitude and, and joy and these peace, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, kindness. I see the thankful thing over here this morning and, and it's a month away from Thanksgiving, so it's a good thing to reflect on. So today we're going to look at the way to contentment. If you'd open up your Bibles to Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13, that's where we're going to be reading Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. And we're at the end of Philippians here, and Philippians is a letter of encouragement. I understand that you guys uh, have, have gone through it somewhat recently, so hopefully um, we, can, we can look at some different things here today, but Philippians is about encouragement, and keep reaching toward the goal, right? Don't, don't uh, be satisfied with autopilot Christianity. So before we read, let's pray. Father, again, we, we come to you, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that it's not just a textbook that we need to study, that it's not just some good information that if we apply it to our life, we'll have success, but Lord, it's, it's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Lord, we ask that you would cut our hearts with your word, that we wouldn't just think to ourselves, oh, we've heard this before, but God, that you would work something new in us this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 4, verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen to me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. At last, at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content and in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So I, I really want really to hone in on these last couple verses here. As Paul finishes up his letter to the Philippians, he kind of just mentions these two sentences about contentment. Like, I'm content in any situation. Like, it's not a big deal to say these things, right? Because we, we don't struggle with these things constantly. It's, it's, I, I wonder when I read that, how can Paul make such a claim? I, I get everything else he's saying, but how does he say that he's always content that even if he's starving, he's content. And let's remember, too, here, where's, where's Paul at when he writes this letter? He's in prison. He's in a damp, cold prison cell. His, uh, his calling, the, the one that, you know, God knocked him off, off his horse, right? He probably thought, oh, I'm going to be having this life. I'm going to be having this crazy life. And he's sitting in a prison, and he's saying these things. That's pretty wild. So is, is Paul... Is Paul lying when he says this? Like, he doesn't want to burden the Philippian church? Kind of like if you say, hey, how's it going? You say, great. Now, I think, I think this contentment is coming from a true place, and I think it's actually outlined in this text here. Um, I think he's truly content. So, so where does contentment come from? Does it come from, from getting more things? Does it come from purchasing what we want? No. And I think deep down... I think deep down we all know that the world won't bring contentment, don't we? Especially if you've been walking for a G with Jesus for a little while. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you do think things will, will satisfy you, but if you've been walking with Jesus for a little while, you start to see that the things of the world won't satisfy. You start to see that the things that you thought were going to make me happy, like even during COVID, I thought, man, free time, I got free time. And that was nice for a little while. But... Even that's not the answer to, to happiness. That's not the answer to contentment. So why do, we start, why do we fall for this false contentment over and over again? First, we have a sin problem, right? Even in the garden with Adam and Eve, God gives them all, all the trees, all the fruit. He says, just don't eat of this one tree, and they still went for it. Right? And that's how we are. So we, we have this sin problem. We have this natural rebellion built in us. That's the first thing. But something we don't often realize about ourselves is that um, even in the church, we, we believe ourselves to be logical and rational individuals, capable of, of thinking our way to happiness. Thinking if we just know the right things, if we just have the right, if we just have the right mindset, we can, we can do whatever we want. Um, and while logic is incredibly important, we, we tend to place logic before any other aspect of our humanity, including our emotions. Um, I think in the church, of, a, a lot of times people don't step up and evangelize because they feel like they don't know enough, even though they've been sitting in church all their lives. Um, 
But if you've been sitting in your church all, all your lives, it's not knowledge that, that, that's holding you back. It's, it's a fear. It's something else. And so it's not our, lo- our logic that drives us. It's our affections. And logic and knowledge can make our affections greater. Uh, it can illuminate our thinking. It can take us out of the dark. But our affections are what we're shaped by, our affections. And we see this in addiction, right? I, well, my uncle and aunt know, but about nine years ago, I was really, really struggling with alcoholism. And I, I have an addictive personality. I'm talking about with that coffee. That's the real deal this morning. I mean, that's like my last vice. Um, but addiction is proof that our affections outweigh our logic. That's why even if we've had too much to drink, we think, ah, I'll have one more. It's a celebration. Or even if you got no money left, you're sitting on Amazon looking at that purse you want and, and you click on it anyway because, ah, I deserve it, right? We, we don't get what we need from the people that we want, so we look at what we want. We, we do what we want because our affections are set on things that are selfish. It's our own pleasure that we're, we're focused on. And we're on this constant roller coaster ride every day of ups and downs. There's, there's no stability there. We're fragile. And this shows us that our, our priorities really need to be evaluated. That this isn't the life that, that we as Christians should be living. You know, these, these lives of just up and down. So as we evaluate this, let me show you something that brings me comfort. In verse 11 and 12, we're looking at that quickly, but then we're going to go back to the start of this. Um, I want to show you something that gave me comfort as I was looking at this. Where does Paul say he got contentment from? Did he say, oh, they laid hands on me and I received contentment and now I walk in that? Or did he receive contentment in that conversion experience? No. Paul is saying that he learned to be content. Verses 11 and 12. He didn't just stumble upon contentment, he learned contentment. He says it twice, 20 years after Jesus opened his his heart. So just like Paul learned and practiced it, and he tells us to to learn and and practice what he does, we can learn it too. So let's start at the beginning of the text here and see if we can learn some things from Paul. So it starts off, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. So Paul... Paul starts here by saying not just to be content, but to rejoice. Rejoice. Why can we rejoice? Because Jesus is close to us. Jesus is near. He's with you, and you don't have to do this by yourself. You have a helper, and he's coming again soon. So this this gives us a little encouragement even before we dive in anything anything else. The Lord is near. He's with you. He's watching out for you. Paul is saying that, uh, that we need to, to reflect on that, to look at that, and even, even towards the end of, of time, he's, he's waking us up, he's calling us out of that, that autopilot way of thinking. And then verse 6 goes on to say, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So the first thing we can practice here, you know what? You know how many times Paul says thanksgiving in, in, New, in the New Testament? Over 43 times, over 43 times he says to give thanks. Pray with thanksgiving, and, and that gratitude with prayer will change your life. So, so how do we do that? This is, uh, again, a, a personal 
a personal story. I was, I was kind of at my bottom. I had been a sales director at uh, this, this organization. I was doing well for myself, um, and I bottom out in alcoholism, and, uh, and I'm struggling. And uh, I, I, long story short, I don't have time to go into my entire testimony, but, but one of the things that helped lead me back to Christ was AA, believe it or not. Um, and he did that, but part of, part of that program was sitting down each day. And we think, oh, this is great, journaling, it's all a nice idea. But to sit and, and actually go through what I'm grateful for each day, 10 things each day. And I started doing that, and I started seeing also why I should be grateful for these things. And I dwelt in that. And God used that to change my life. He, he used that to get me through where I, I had to step out of management. I, had to, I felt like I was really low. God used that. To, to bring me out. And Paul says, pray with thanksgiving often. And I think oftentimes we, and, and we get stuck in these cycles that before we go to bed each night, we're just kind of heaping up laundry lists of requests, of complaints, and sometimes we leave that, leave that thanksgiving out. But Paul is saying, pray with thanksgiving. Pray with the realization that God, if you're here right now, God's got you. He's taking care of every single heartbeat that you have, every single breath that you have. And the Israelites, too. Think about the Psalms, how often it reflects back, not on just, oh, God, thank you for hot water. Thank you for, uh, thank you for taking care of me here. Thank you for transportation to get over to this church. But, God, thank you for what you did hundreds of years ago by delivering us out of Egypt. Thank you, God, that we have freedom. Thank you that we have all these things. And that was one of the ways that they, they remember their history, but they also give they gave praise, they gave thanks when they remembered that. He's provided us in the past, for us in the past, and even if your life is full of challenges, even if, if life is a struggle right now, and it's hard and it's difficult, we can still find things, not just the fake thanksgiving, but to sit in it and to realize, look at what we have, look at, look at the blessings that God gives us each day. And it's also a good way to pray without ceasing. Paul, Paul talks about praying without ceasing. Thanksgiving is an excellent way just to, God, thank you for this church building that we get to enjoy. Thank you for the sunshine that's out right now. When we look at those things and give thanks, it, it produces praise in our hearts. In fact, look at what verse 7 says. Look at what verse 7. Not just that God will provide contentment. It says, in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we get impatient. Sometimes it seems like God is not answering our request, like he's not coming through. And if you look back at your life, you'll probably see, if you've been walking with Christ for a little while, that the way that you would have gone is maybe not the way that God had for you, but on reflection, you see that he had a plan and purpose all along. And God's peace, when we come to him and we lift up our struggles to him and our, our petitions to him with thanksgiving and the realization that he's got us, his peace transcends our understanding. It guards our hearts. We don't get locked into that worry. He's showing us the first way to have peace in here is to, to come to God with thanksgiving. So if our prayer life doesn't exist or we're not giving thanks or or we're not looking and seeing the things that he gives us on a regular basis, we're going to have a lot of inner turmoil. So we can pray with thanksgiving. That's a conscious activity. Let's look at the next couple verses. 
because we see the next, next thing Paul says here too. Look for the adjectives. So we pray with thanksgiving. What's the next thing we do? Look at the adjectives here. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me put into practice, that's what we're doing right now by reflecting on this. And I'm not just giving a sermon so that you guys can go, oh, that was, that was garbage or that was decent or whatever. It's to practice these things, right? And the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is saying our prayer lives and gratitude matter, but not just that. What we focus on in general matters. What we surround ourselves with on a daily basis matters. Just like prayer and gratitude, what we focus on has a way, look at it has a way of bringing God's peace to our hearts. The God of peace will be with you. What we focus on can either bring contentment or discontentment. So Rush Limbaugh is not on the, on the radio anymore, but what are we listening to on the way home from work? Are we listening to angry talk radio? Are we listening to, to music that is absolutely not God-glorifying? Are we watching movies that, that have a lot of stuff in it that we wouldn't be proud of being seen watching? Maybe it's got a lot of, lot of swear words in it, right? Those things kind of trickle out of us as we consume it. So what we surround ourselves with, what we put in our lives, what we focus on can either, can either bring us up or take us down. So if we're looking at things we shouldn't look at all day long, we're going to start seeing people differently. We're going to start seeing situations differently. And an obvious example of this is if you don't think that's true for you, if you think that you can guard your own heart, your own mind, um, it, that's not, that's not going to be an easy thing. If, if, you, if you hang out with a negative person all day long, you just start to feel that negativity. You start to produce that negativity. But if you hang out with somebody that builds you up, that encourages you, that, that gives you life, then, then you're a lot, you, you're, you have that contentment. So what we think about shapes our affections, and we need to place our attention not on fleeting attrib human attributes, but eternal attributes, things that are going to last forever. I really like what the uh, Amplified Bible says. It doesn't just say, think about these things. It says, think about, think about these such things in the, in the NIV. But in the Amplified version, it says, center your mind on them. Center your mind on all that is excellent and praiseworthy. Center your mind on what's noble and plant those things in your heart because these things aren't just bits of knowledge. They aren't just facts about, about um, a human. These things are what move our hearts. The things that are listed here, the noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy things are what move our hearts. When you, take, when you see a, a sunset, we were just in Galena, like I was telling you. When you see a sunset and you see the changing leaves, it does something within you. It stirs you. You get excited about it. You, you take out your camera and you post it on your Facebook story or, or your Instagram story. right? You want to share that with other people. These aren't just things that are, that are nice ideas, something you slap up in a wall in your house. Paul is telling us the secret to contentment. And that's part of it. Thanksgiving and prayer, focusing on, on right things, focusing on things that stir your heart, that stir your affections, that, that stir up praise in you. So we try to focus 
on this in everyday life as well. This is, this is true of, of people. And again, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. When I'm, when I'm talking about this stuff, I need to be in constant reminder of myself because I was in, in the car with my four kids for the last yesterday for four hours. And so I'm going, I'm driving down the road. Oh, look at that. Look at that red tree over there. Look how beautiful that is. Oh, look at, look at the colors over that. And then my kids, the, you know, I don't want to say anything bad. I love my kids. My, my kids take me out of that moment. They ask for something. They tell me they're hungry. They need to tell me they, they need to stop at the bathroom, whatever. It takes me out of that moment, and there goes my contentment with it, right? And we see people this way. We see people not as image bearers of God, but as obstacles, as obstacles rather than image bearers. But when we, when we put our focus back on what's admirable, what's admirable? Uh, my son was working on a Phil's Friends box the other night. That's admirable. Let's rejoice about that. What's admirable? My, my, my other son practiced his piano lessons last night. He did it well. He did a good job. That's admirable. When we start to focus on those things, we start to even treat people differently. This rewires your brain. This is, I'm, I love psychology too. Uh, there's something called neuroplasticity. When you start thinking differently, it literally rewires your brain. It brings in new neural pathways. So those things that are uncomfortable at first, just like tying a shoe, and when you're four years old, you have to really pay attention to that. But as you practice it, it becomes second nature. It carves in new pathways in your mind. So this will take work, but when you start thinking differently, your brain will produce, it'll just start to go that way. Paul was even able to find good in a prison cell. But is this just a, a motivational speech this morning just to, to get you guys pumped up? No, right? It's not that. This is a sermon. Because look, look at where Paul's ultimate contentment is found. Let's go down to verse 13 here. Um, uh, very, a verse that's often taken out of context. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So we use this verse to psych us up, to, to, before we do something, if we're going to ask that girl on a date, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or if, uh, if I go in for a raise, you know, I can do all things uh, through Christ who strengthens me. We use it as a verse to get ourselves psyched up, or before playing the big game, or before doing a sermon this morning, which actually does kind of apply. I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. I can't, I can't. Um, we understand this verse as Christ being the vehicle to get us to where we want to go rather than being the point, right? We look at him as a vehicle rather than as a savior. And Paul is saying that the reason he can suffer, suffer and still rejoice is because Christ is his contentment. Christ is his contentment. Paul's not psyching himself up. He's saying that the reason he's content, even though he was basically stoned and left for dead, he was locked up in prison multiple times, ultimately beheaded, even though he went through all that stuff, he could have gone, oh, I'm giving, up. I'm giving up. He's saying, no, I'm content because I have Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Christ is his satisfaction because he has a, he has a relationship with the source of all life, with God himself. So maybe you're a little skeptical. You know, how can we... How can someone that we can't see, touch, or, or feel physically bring us contentment? Sometimes we, we look at Jesus as a nice idea. 
He's a good teacher. He's wise. We should follow him. But to Paul and millions of others since then, even in the most difficult times, even when being faced with sure death, early Christianity's locked into a, into a cage with a bunch of lions, people going and being burned at the stake, how can, how can they say that they're content, that's, that Jesus is their satisfaction? After encountering Jesus, Paul even realized that even striving after being holy is all life. Let's, let's remember, like, Paul was a Pharisee. He was trying to live a holy, holy life, a little misguided, but he was trying to live a holy life. But even in light of his life and all that he was striving for, he saw that he had an eternal debt and a weight that he would never be able to measure up, that he would be judged and found guilty because he had sinned against a perfect, holy God. And the penalty is being separated from that source of all joy and source of all goodness for eternity. He realized that everything that he had done up until that point without Christ was worthless. But Jesus paid his debt. Jesus freed him from the weight of sin, of guilt, and shame. Think, think about this for a minute. This is, I don't want to just say this and move on. Think about the most shameful thing you've ever done. Think about the thing that you would hate to get out, something that you're guilty about, something that you feel horrible about. Christ has forgiven you, and he has set you free from that thing. He set you free from that. When, when somebody comes along and can actually provide that forgiveness and give you salvation and provide for you and pay the debt and say, that sin is canceled over here, he's mine now, I'm going to be with him for eternity, that produces praise, that produces contentment, that produces joy. Even when Paul's sitting in a prison 2,000 years later, think about, think about the kind of purpose and fulfillment that we have through Christ. Right? Paul, Paul is probably sitting there in the Philippian prison, and he's probably practicing this. Okay, focus on all that is good. I'm going to pray with thanksgiving. God, thank you for the water that I have today. Thank you. Thank you that I was able to preach Thank you that I was able to do this. He probably didn't realize that his letter that he was writing to the Philippians was going to be studied by us 2,000 years later. God gives purpose. He gives fulfillment. He gives weight behind our actions because they're eternal things. And the same goes with what we think about, what we reflect on. Even though Paul was an enemy of Christ, he's forgiven because of what Christ has done for him. And this isn't just for Paul. This is for you and me. There is nothing or no one more true, more honorable, noble, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or worthy of praise than that of Jesus Christ. And when we see that clearly, when we see that clearly, our hearts yearn for him. Jesus, Jesus is the truth. We can trust his promises. We can trust everything he said. He is honorable and noble. What's more honorable than giving up a life for somebody else? He gave his life for you and me. He is pure. There's no blemish. There's no stain. There's no sin. So that when he gave his life for you, that was the final payment. There's nothing more that, that anybody could do. He is lovely. In fact, 
he isn't just lovely, he is the source of love. He is love. He's admirable, he's excellent, and he's worthy of praise because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the way to eternal life, and he's also the way to contentment. So we see the true contentment isn't just about what we focus on, although that's important. It's who we focus on. And as we focus on him, his words, his promises, the power of the Spirit, God's peace, will guard our hearts and minds. So if you're a believer in Christ, you already have him. If you're a believer in Christ, you say, I put my trust in Christ, I want to surrender to Christ, I want to follow Christ. You have him, but maybe today is a, is a chance to look at your life and go, if people were looking at my life on the outside, what would they say my affections are? What would they say I'm running after? I might be able to give a good catechism answer for what I believe, but is my affection set on Christ? And if you don't have him, if you don't have Jesus, now is the time for discontentment. Now is the time to look at your life and go, does my life mean anything? Do I have anything if I don't have eternal life? If I don't have purpose? Now is the time for discontentment. Now is the time to realize that the only thing worth trusting in is Christ. Things will fail you. People are going to fail you. This church may fail you. But Christ will not fail you. If you feel that for the first time, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Give your life to him. And there's going to be people after we're done singing our last song here that are going to be open here to pray for you. So please see them. Talk to them. Come forward. He wants to give you a contentment and joy that will last for eternity. I want to leave you with, with one little story here. It's about John Wesley. One of the greatest um, preachers of the 18th century, and he was attending Oxford at the time. And he wasn't the great John Wesley, the preacher and the revivalist we know today. He was kind of snobbish. He was kind of arrogant, a little bit sarcastic. And it was a cold night, and there was a guy that was helping him with uh, his luggage. He was a porter. And it was freezing outside, and the porter had kind of a, a thin, threadbare jacket. And so John Wesley said, you know, it's freezing out here. Why don't you go get a jacket? And the, and the porter responded, God's given me all I need right here. This is, this is the one quote I have. And uh, intrigued by that response, Wesley kind of poked at him because he was thankful for the, for the coat that he had. He poked him and he said, what else do you, do you thank God for? And he says, I thank him for my water that I have for the day. I will thank him for the dry stones upon the ground that I'm going to rest tonight. And Wesley is just kind of laughing and smirking. He goes, please continue. And then the porter replied, I thank him that he has given me my life, a heart to love him, and above all, a constant desire to serve him. Wesley went back to his room that night, and after seeing the genuineness and depth of that faith in Christ, Wesley changed and later became one of the greatest revivalists ever. Can you imagine that if we had that faith, that we trusted in Christ for our contentment, what that would do for the world? Let's pray. 
God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for, for working in us. Father, these could have, this, this could be nothing to some people, but some people you're, you're working in their heart and you're doing something. So God, we just ask that you would center our minds and our hearts on you. We thank you for your goodness and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.